following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. The Palestinian Authority is actually um, pursuing a, in The Hague International Court war crimes against the State of Israel, killing innocent civilians, targeting innocent civilians during the war. So um, we're going to discuss a little of that, the concept of innocent civilians, um, yes. casualties, um, who's, how do you define a combatant, how do you define collateral damage, also the question of uh, proportionality, which has also come up, which is part of the Geneva Conventions. Um, so the question is, what, in all these things, what's the, Torah, what's the Torah's view on it? Um, so obviously this scenario here, the first scenario we have on the page, this has come up numerous times. This is actually an actual scenario, but not from this war. This was from the 2006 war in Israel, um, in Gaza. Um, says the Israeli Air Force had located a very dangerous terrorist leader, had the opportunity to eliminate him. Terrorists noticed the plane and slipped into a taxi cab, had a passenger. So he had a drone who was targeting this um, terrorist. So the guy noticed, noticed it. He um, basically jumped out of his car, jumped into a taxi. With, obviously, we have a taxi driver, and there was another passenger in the car. The question was whether to bomb the cab despite the presence of a non combatants in the car. So I know what Alan holds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? So I know what your opinion is. I don't know what it says. Um, no, it's, it's Pentel. I didn't read it, but I imagine that if you're under direct threat, if they have a gun and there's civilians around you and they're shooting at you, you can kill them. No, that wasn't the case here. In this case, the, the people around him, he wasn't firing or causing a direct threat from there. I imagine that you can't blow up the taxi. You say you can't. You say you can't. Morally or legally, by international law, what, 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 which direction are you coming from? Which perspective legally, are you? Legally, morally, who cares? No, I'm saying that's the question. There's a big difference between legal and. and no, legally, I know, but I know, legally, I know you can't. And then there's halakhically. I think at some point. It's three different, it's three different categories. Well, also, how many people is this guy going to kill in the future? Right. Clinton had admitted he had an op opportunity to kill Osama bin Laden, but he didn't because there would be too many uh, non-combatants killed. And look, uh, not long after he had 9-11, so uh, more people died because of their refusal. Do you take that into right, consideration? No, that's a very, very important. What are you saying, Steve? Sorry. I think the key for me here is a very dangerous <laughs> terrorist leader. Steve's done. Here it says a very dangerous terrorist leader, so it's different between a, a regular soldier, let's say, and a high-ranking person. In this case, it says high-ranking, you know. You're saying the fact that it stresses is dangerous. Yeah. So that, meaning that's putting in danger future citizens, I guess. Yeah, a lot. I got you. I mean, one thing is clear. For, um, there's no question. First of all, I think all the videos that have come out now after the war, I don't know if you saw many of the videos, the reporters, it seems, in during the war in Gaza are threatened by Hamas that they cannot show anything on air. Actually, there's even a, a Wall Street Journal, two, two Wall Street Journal reporters who had pictures of them, pair of missiles in Shifra Hospital, um, in the main hospital in Gaza that they were shooting from the courtyard of the hospital. And they tweeted the pictures out, 
but then they would delete it. The Wall Street Journal did not report on it, and they deleted the, pi the pictures. Were deleted two pictures of missiles in the hospital. This is the Wall Street Journal, which happens to be a right, you know, pretty conservative paper. We're not talking New York Times. Um, and they were asked by memory why they deleted it and why it wasn't reported. So after the war, it's now coming out that Hamas does threaten reporters to, and they will kick them out of the country if they show anything. So there's not a lot of... They won't kick them out of the country, they'll kill them. Well, if they're in the country. <laughs> but they won't let them report. They don't so have a country. Not only that, but the Israeli intelligence said that the leaders of Hamas we're all hiding underneath in tunnels underneath here. Right, right. That's that the main was headquarters. Their, uh, bunker Ooh. where all their high-ranking leaders are hiding. Nice surprise. In tunnels underneath the hospital. They've been using that for a long time. Ask the men some food. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Literally of them shooting. This is one particular video. Earlier, I don't know if you sent this to me. I'll show you a fascinating video of the guy, a Indian reporter in a hotel in Gaza, showing them how they hide the missiles in the, in a uh, residential area. Just a. So witnessing something very very unusual in this plot of land, abandoned plot of land right next to our hotel. A blue tent has come up. It wasn't yeah. there last night. It right. came up just this morning. And there have been two men moving in and out of it. Now, by reasonable doubt, it's fair to guess that this is a potential Hamas rocket launching site that's being set up. There's so only the question of, of how Hamas manages to fire rockets without being detected by the Israelis. This perhaps is one of the ways of assembling it under a tent. It also establishes something which Hamas has always been accused of, that they actually use densely populated civilian areas to fire their rockets. And if the camera zooms out a little more, you'll see that this is a is an area very heavily built up, a lot of residential and uh, hotel buildings all around. And so if Hamas does fire a rocket from here, it will have immediate consequences for everyone around here. And I also must report at this point that the first night when we came here, we did see or rather hear a rocket go off exactly at that plot of land and the hotel and the hotels opposite us were evacuated because the Israelis sent a warning that there might be a strike on that. That didn't happen. But if Hamas uses this site once again to launch a rocket, uh, we're not sure what's going to happen. So now, uh, as you can see, the tent has been removed. Whatever they were doing under the tent is clearly over. We also find that there are not two people, two individuals, but three uh, who are behind uh, this particular activity. And uh, they've placed a, a, a sort of a bush on top of uh, whatever they've, they've buried under the sand. And also they're using a spade to cover it up with mud and uh, it looks like they're prepared to leave. But of course, during this whole process, they were running some cables uh, out from under the tent to somewhere at the back. And uh, it, it now remains to be seen whether if this is indeed uh, a Hamas rocket launch site, that they're going to use it uh, to, to detonate it remotely. We can see one of the men leaving. He's got something on his head. Uh, it just looks like he's coming out either onto the road or he's uh, gone to the tree there. Things. Uh, the other guy is standing uh, behind the tree. Again, as I said, this is a very, very unusual sight uh, to actually witness in Gaza. 
the possibility that we're seeing uh, Hamas setting up uh, for a rocket launch just meters away uh, from our hotel and again as I point out bang in the middle of what is a, a residential area full of hotels and apartment buildings. The rocket being fired today morning, a day after it was assembled at the exact spot the rocket has been fired. That's the smoke. We just shot a video of it in the immediate aftermath. Okay, so we're heading to the spot where uh, we saw the rockets from being fired. It seems to be okay, in an open point. plot of land. But uh, we're being asked by people. So where was that broadcast? To the location. Uh, so I got that email also. So, so why did Israel respond to that? No, I mean, this is one of many videos. Is no? there, yeah, they, they only release these videos after the war. Really? <laughs> after the ceasefire. What's wow. so good is at least you know, it could it, be used in evidence. Bottom line is it doesn't matter because nobody cares that, all they care about is that there's innocent kids killed. No, but at least Thomas is, is, is claiming that they don't do it from, they're not intentionally, they don't do it from civilian areas. Well, it's clearly not, I mean, it's, it's clear. So, and that's what one of, of many videos I've seen. So the question is again, we're gonna, I want to discuss from the Torah perspective how it works in situations and how do, within, is there a problem, at least halachically, does the Torah have a problem? We'll get to the legal part also, but um, international law, but the, what does halacha, how does halacha view civilians in this context um, of war, so to speak? So so the, um, the war did exist, obviously in the time of the Torah, but the Torah doesn't address civilians directly in this, part, in this particular scenario, but the jumping point for this is the story, famous story in Genesis, which was the rape of Dina. If you're, if, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the story, in Parsha Vayetze, I believe, or Vishla. So um, I have it here. So basically, what happens is, uh, as we know, Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter, at least one. The Medrash says actually each son was born with a twin sister. Levi. Shema and Levi. Uh, Levi, yeah. So, uh, so the, what happens is she goes out in Shechem, which is current day Nablus, PA controlled territory, never was a good city for the Jews, even 2,000 years ago. I don't suggest you visit it today either, not so safe. Um, but they go out, Shechem, actually the mayor of the city, his name um, was actually the son of the mayor's name was Shechem, hence the name Shechem today. So in that, in biblical times, so his, his father's name was Chamor, and the son's name was Shechem. And the son Shechem sees this beautiful girl, Dina. Um, as we know, all, all the Jewish women are beautiful. And, uh, and um, he, he sees this beautiful woman, goes out and rapes her, forcibly rapes her. And what happens is afterwards, seemingly the Shechem really liked her. Right after he tried her out, so he he, um, he decides he wants to marry her. So he goes after the rape, and they're holding her captive, by the way. They kidnapped her. They go to the family, to Jacob's family, to Jacob and his family and his sons, and they say, we'd like to marry her. Will you give us her hand in marriage? So the question is whether you're trying to make amends or not, but in either case, losing the crowd. Uh, <laughs> okay, so they, they go... So they go and they uh, they try to they offer their hand in marriage. Torah says, so what happens? So they strike a deal with um, the family. Jacob says, sure, listen, we would love to have you in the family. But everyone in the city, in order for us to marry into each other's families, everyone in the city, in, in the city of Shechem needs to circumcise themselves. 
Okay, well, after that, then. Not circular, something to be. Yes, be circular. Well, watch what you're saying. I told you. I told you, watch him. Told you. Water fight out here. <laughs> so, um, so what happens is, so they, so they agree. They say we'd love, we'd love to be circumcised. Which you'll see, is very, very rele relevant. Yeah. No. Um, so what happens then is, look here. It's quoted in the, in the handout here. So it says, um, medically, actually, this is a medical fact which I did do research on. It's discussed in a few um, Talmudic sources, but it actually I have I have confirmed this medically that on the third day after surgery is the worst uh, day for the patient. The patient feels the worst three the third day after surgery. Whatever the surgery may be. In this case it's circumcision. So so on the third day, Shimon Levi, as Al mentioned, go out together with, with swords and they basically slaughter the whole city. So they slaughter Shem and Hamar, the, the leaders, two leaders of the city who committed the atrocity. They also kill out all, basically all the citizens of the city who were technically innocent civilians. They did nothing wrong. Right? What did they do wrong to deserve death? Um, they didn't commit any atrocity. Technically. All they did was circumcise themselves. Right? So it says, then they, So they kill out the whole city, then they take Dina from the house of Shem. Um, says they come back and they took all the booty of the city um, they, they only killed by the way the men, not the women and children um, but again the men in this case were they were non-combatants innocent civilians and then the last verse there verse 30 says that when they come back and Yaakov, they tell Yaakov what happened tell Jacob what happened, Jacob gets upset at them so, so uh, Jacob starts screaming at them. He says, Thereupon Jacob said to Shimon and Levi, you have, troubled, you have troubled me to discredit me among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites, among the Prezites. I am few in number, and they will gather against me, and I and my household will be destroyed. So it seems like, the question is, is Jacob really condemning them because he felt they, they did something morally wrong by killing innocent civilians, or was he just scared of world opinion, which it seems like from the wording of the verse, seems like he's just scared of, as today, Israel, we're scared of what the world is going to say about us. So, I mean, he says, when you're troubled, you discredit me among the heavens of the land, and now it can have a worse effect because they're going to gang up on me. So that's questionable how to understand Jacob's um, reply to the brother, meaning why was he upset with Shimon and So, but later on, and I don't quote it here, but later in Parshat Vayichi, on Jacob's deathbed, he brings up the topic again, when he's giving all his son's blessings before he dies. So when he comes to Shimon Levi, these two brothers who committed, who killed out the city of Shem, he says, he calls them uh, um, people who can't control their temper. He doesn't have nice things to say about them because of this event. So it seems like Jacob was, was upset that they, there was morally something wrong. question is, so there seems to be a disagreement here between Jacob and his sons as to whether they had a right to kill these civilians of Shem for the atrocity that, that only uh, the mayor of the city committed, really the leader committed. Okay, which is really a question here in Gaza, meaning not all the people of Gaza committed atrocities. Many of them did, um, but I would say probably, you know, maybe 20% of them are, are actual Hamas fighters. Let's say, you know, you want to say 30%, what, 25%, I don't know the exact numbers, right? But most of them technically are not, didn't commit atrocities against, um, against the Jews. Okay, so similar situation, and that's my comparison here. So the question is, who is right? Is Jacob correct? in being upset that they did something morally wrong by killing civilians or is or is Shimon Levi correct? So that's the questions I have I have on top here. What right did Shimon Levi have to kill 
all the male inhabitants, it was only Shechem and his father had committed the atrocity. Number two is who is considered a combatant? How do we define a combatant? Um, what about collateral damage in this case? You know, well, not in this case, but in the case of Gaza, when you, you're not intentionally targeting civilians. In this case, they did intentionally target civilians. What happens as Israel is not intentionally targeting civilians, you're targeting the combatants, but, um, but you know there's going to end up, like in the case of the taxi here, where civilians will be killed. Okay, so that's what we call collateral damage. So how does that work? So I found three opinions in the, in the early authorities, um, early Jewish authorities, as to how to, def- how to understand the story of Shimon Levi, which I think are very applicable to Gaza. So, so the first opinion is Maimonides. Maimonides says a fascinating thing. Um, Maimonides says a fascinating thing. He says, he's, this is, Maimonides has a whole, uh, um, it's nine chapters of, on war, the laws of war. And it's actually a different context. He's discussing, in, that, in those laws of war, he discusses, even mentioned here in the past, the, the concept of seven Noahide laws. As we know, Judaism is a universal religion. We don't believe, like other religions, such as Islam or Christianity, that if, you're not, if you don't convert to Christianity, if you're not baptized, you're going to hell. If, you don't, if you're not a Muslim, um, then you're, you're an infidel. You deserve to die. Judaism doesn't believe that. We don't seek out converts. As a matter of fact, we say you can remain a Gentile and still be go to heaven like anyone else, as long as you observe what's called the universal laws. Torah, prior to the giving of... Torah existed even prior to Sinai, so to speak. There were seven universal laws that are known as the Noahide laws, which were given to, to Noah. That's why they call the Noahide laws. Given to Noah, actually. Um, so we're not going to get into all seven of them, including that is prohibition of adultery, idolatry, um, Stealing, which kidnapping, which is relevant here, as we'll see, um, is prohibited in one, one of the seven universal laws. Um, rape, depending on the case, um, but kidnapping for sure is prohibited, which is what they did to Dina here. So, in that context, and by the way, it's interesting. Just as a side point, the Noahide movement. Um, there is a Noahide movement of Christians who renounce Jesus, because technically, according to the Torah, Jesus would be idolatry to believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Trinity. So there's a movement that's founded in Texas, in Fort Worth, in 1973 or something like that, by an archaeologist named Wendell Jones. The movie Indiana Jones was named after. Started this movement called the Noahide Movement, and currently they have, I think, 72,000 followers um, worldwide of Noahides, former Christians who renounced Christianity to keep the seven Noahide laws, the universal laws. That's a side point. Um, most of his kids actually converted to Judaism. This guy, Vendor Jones, I happen to know some of them personally. Elliot had one of them living in his house. <laughs> so, uh, but, but he's a fascinating fellow. Had the had the uh, merit to meet him, to meet this guy, Vendor Jones. In any case, he remained. He never converted to Judaism. He wanted to, but he was advised by rabbis in Israel to to found this movement instead, which he did. So it was found in Texas, but that's the side point. The point is, so Maimonides, in the context of this discussion of the seven universal laws, says like this. He says, how much, one of the seven laws, which I forgot to mention, very important one, is the concept of having a system of justice. That every society has to set up a system of justice where, where you can't live in a, in a society of anarchy. Part of um, a universal thing is we all have to accept a certain universal norms, societal norms, and um, which are immoral. And, and society has to set up, or leaders of society have to set up a system of justice. That's one of the seven obligations. So says Maimonides, and by the way, any one of the violations, according to the Torah, if you violate any one of the seven Noahide laws, 
anyone, not just Jews, obviously. It's capital punishment. Okay? So, so, um, so says my mind, he's like this, number one here. He says, how must the Gentiles fulfill the commandment to establish laws and courts? They're obligated to set up judges and magistrates in every major city to render judgment concerning these six mitzvot and to admonish the people regarding their observance. A Gentile who transgresses these seven commandments shall be executed by decapitation. For this reason, says Maimonides, and then... That's who got the idea. That's who got the idea. Who got the So he, he says, for this reason, all the inhabitants of Shechem, so he throws in, usually the Raman doesn't do this, this historical note here, he says, for this reason, all the inhabitants of Shechem were obligated to die. He says, Shechem kidnapped, which is a violation, like we said, of the seven Oran laws. They observed and meaning the society of Shechem, the people of Shechem, observed this kidnapping, that Dina was kidnapped and brutally raped, and were aware of the deeds, but they didn't judge it. They didn't put their leaders in trial for the atrocities of what they did. So Shechem and Hamar kidnapped Dina, they raped her. All the people knew that in the city, and they did nothing to, to stop this atrocity. Not only to stop it, it was happening. Afterwards, even post the atrocity, Part of it is putting them in judgment, judging the people who did atrocities. So the Ramam says, by the mere fact that the city witnessed atrocities and they did nothing about it, um, in, in, even with due process, they all deserve to die. Okay? So according to the Ramam, clearly, the, just applying this to Gaza, there would be no question. If you're living in a society where um, atrocities are being committed, even by your leaders, and no one says a peep, no one does anything about it on protests or tries to set up some system of holding them accountable for their atrocities, then they're, they're just as liable for the atrocities, and according to Maimonides, have every right to kill them. So every citizen of Gaza, according to this, technically wouldn't be, you have a right to kill them. Nothing to do with war, international law, according any to Maimonides. Any citizen anywhere, probably. Huh? Any citizen anywhere, just about. No, I'm saying most societies, let's say American society, keep uphold these seven universal laws, more or less. Um, you know, I'm saying we don't walk around kidnapping people. We kidnap people. We don't, uh, you know, listen to adultery. You know, yeah, which depends probably. where you live, Bel Air. You know what I'm saying? But, but, um, but I'm saying that the, you know, most societies up observe these seven universal laws by manner of society. Okay, there are people, there are individuals who might violate the laws, but they're held accountable. If someone kidnaps someone in America, they're gonna, if you catch them, they're gonna go on trial. So that means there's a system of justice is in place to deal with them. You don't have to deal with them in the Torah's way. The point is to have a system of justice whatever in your society that holds people accountable for violations of these universal morals, which is done. It's not done in Gaza. It's done in most other places in the world. Okay, so that's number one. That's my Manly's opinion. So comes Nachmanli's um, and is not happy at all. He does not like my Manly's opinion at all. He disagrees with him vehemently. So if you look at number two, Nachmanli's, Ellie, you have a question? No. Okay, okay you're thinking about it. Okay, so, so comes Nachmanlis, Ramban, meaning the Maimanlis is Rambam. Um, Nachmanlis, Maimanlis' name, name was Ramosha ben Maiman, son of Maiman, therefore he's known as Maimanlis. Nachmanlis was Ramosha, the son of Nachman, therefore he's known as Nachman. Okay, Nachman, your favorite, your favorite guy. Okay, so now, no, it's not the same Nachman. But, um, Okay, so, so Nachman is vehemently disagrees with Ramam. He says like this, he says, um, you see, he believes that Shimon and Levi were justified in killing Shechem and Hamar, meaning who committed the atrocity here? The two people, they raped, kidnapped and raped Dina, father and son, who the mayor, the leaders of Shechem. 
So they committed the atrocity, they deserve to die. But, however, he argues the killing of the males of Shechem was entirely unjustified, as Jacob protested. His basic argument is that it was wrong for Shimon and Levi to kill the males of Shechem since they did nothing wrong to Yaakov's family. He asserts that the residents of an area do not deserve death for failure to control the evil actions of their leader. Meaning, if we have bad leaders, if I live in a society where the leaders are perpetrating evil and committing atrocities, you can't blame society for their leaders, even though they, in this case, can argue they voted them in. It was a democracy, mm-hmm. democratic election. But I'm saying as far as power, meaning they're powerless. I was assuming, and as we know, Hamas is ruthless. If people in Gaza would say, now well, we, we're going to pro- go out the trees and protest Hamas uh, kidnapping Israelis and killing Israeli children or shooting in the street of Iraq. Uh, Let me finish one second. Yeah. one second. So now they're going to, they're probably, like you said, Hamas will just start shooting at them. They did that. They labeled them collaborators. And they right, and they'll lynch them. So, so therefore, they were voted in. Finish the point election. Election. Yes, okay, so that's a good argument. Okay, well, really, so let me, let me finish the point. So the point is, Nachman is saying, it's very nice. He agrees with Rambam in theory. If someone violates one of the seven eyed laws, they're liable for death. But he says, in this case, where the inhabitants of the city can't be held accountable for putting their leaders in justice. And his proof is, he says that they were scared of their leaders. They couldn't have done it. It's because, he says, what are they crazy? They all agreed to be circumcised. They gotta be nuts. Why would the whole city agree to be circumcised unless they were scared of their leaders? The leaders imagine one day, uh, you know, Barack Obama says everyone has to be circumcised, all adult males. Like people would, would uh, you know, it was probably covered by Obamacare. But, uh, but the point is, right, so the fact he says that they agreed to be circumcised shows that they were scared of their leaders. Otherwise, they would have been crazy to agree to that. Therefore, he says they can't be held liable for the fact that, they, that, they, that their leaders committed atrocity. So how so he's so one thing so Gary's arguing, but they voted him in. Okay, but the question is and, and, and it's debatable, I don't know the answer. When they voted him in, did they know how ruthless Hamas would be and, and that they would commit these atrocities? They haven't the changed in the last twenty years, everyone Yeah, the question is would they realize that even this of shooting missiles and that no, I, I, when, I, when they voted him in, Hamas was like Obama. They made a bunch of promises that everything's gonna be better, you got better roads, better food. They voted the people they that they promised they, they voted the people that believed that they would get the most for themselves. They didn't look at the the, the world affairs type issue. Hamas has been around since the 80s. They've always were terrorist organizations. They never changed. They, they, they had a charter. Yeah, uh, I understand that. Actually, but so, but they were. It's kind of like voting, voting for Obama. He he wrote a book that said what he believed in. Right. If the people say, oh, yeah, I really believe that. I agree with but that. Problem is not Obama. The problem is us. It's not only ideologies. Their strategy of using civilian American people that changed my fellow Jews back then. Steve has a good point. Steve's saying the strategy of Hamas. They might have been a terrorist organization, but their strategy was secularist and Jewish descent. Is that right? Is that right? That's terrible. The Jewish population in the United States is still the most supportive of Obama today. That can't be right. Study. I can't be right. Well, you know the blacks aren't favorable anymore. You had daddies even now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can't make it out. That's next week's class. Alan, that's next week's class. Let's not get off that's that. That's right. I saw it. Terrible. Hey. Okay, well, yeah. Got to stick to me. It's some good stuff. It is. We'll be able to next next. Can we go kill all of Congress? Because it's kind of like they're responsible for all this. Apex. Apex. Supportive. 
Congress is just yeah, maybe, 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 maybe on a trip to Congress we're going to get back. I don't know. I think we should take the tax. The 400 leaders of the United States crashed into the We have two opinions. We have two opinions here as to whether Jacob was right or whether the brothers were right. Meaning, did they have? Did Shimon and Levi have a right to kill the civilians in Shechem? And hence, we're translating that maybe into the civilians of Gaza. According to the Rambam, there would be no question you can kill every civilian in Gaza. According to Nachmanis, Ramban, he's saying they technically might have, unless you make Gary's argument, which is they voted them in, and therefore they knew what they were. They knew this was a group that commits atrocities. But Steve is arguing that they didn't vote in the the current policies of Hamas. They didn't announce them when they were running for election. I mean, they announced that we're going to shoot missiles and discriminate into Israel and, they, and just not end, and let everyone else and put our missiles into uh, schools and hospitals. So I don't know if they announced them when they were running for election. Assuming yeah, they, they even didn't. Even in uh, 2000, when they had that famous uh, machine gun death of the kid, uh, where it came out that they were uh, hiding behind civilians and it was actually the Hamas guys who uh, killed that kid. Yeah, uh, but they don't believe it. The Arabs huh? don't believe it. Yeah, but. It took they were, four years to they figure out the video. They were doing that in 2000. They weren't, weren't voted in until like 2006. So there was ample evidence that they were hiding behind civilians oh, going all the way back into 2000. Yeah, but had, the, the issue is not the hiding behind civilians yet as much as did they, did they elect leaders who they knew would commit atrocities? That's the question. Oh, yes. That's the question. Exactly. Atrocity doesn't mean, you know, having war with Israel. I'm not sure that that's, that might be justified to have a war. The question is, atrocities means things that are prohibited, doing things like killing civilians or shooting at protesters or things like that. Also, if, if you don't follow no-hide laws and you're subject to death, who gets the point themselves to carry out that sentence? Oh, so that's another point that Urban, I didn't get the last line Urban is, even if they, he adds that even if they deserve to die, let's say you say that the people of Shechem violated other laws. They, they had, they had, everyone had adultery, uh, an adulterous affair, or other things that they deserve to die. He says, who, Shimon and Levi were not authorized to execute punishment. Who's, you still have to have due process. Meaning, part of the seven Ohio laws is set up a system of justice. That's part of the universal law. So who is Shimon and Levi to now be vigilantes and take the law into their own end? So that's another issue he has, which who gives them the right to do this. So even if he's saying even if Rambam's correct that they the city the inhabitants deserve to die, you still have to have due process. Shimon and Levi doesn't get to decide and just go kill everyone. You probably covered this while I was out goofing off. But did did the did these killings occur while they were still having their war, or were they after their war? Which killings? Gaza or Shechem? Nablus. The Shlem and Levi yeah. were killing all the males. Did mm -hmm. this occur during the... It was only a rape. No, it was a kidnap and rape. Their sister got Yeah, it was kidnap and rape. And then the, the, the government. So they killed all. They killed off the whole village. Oh, the whole I, oh, I think I know. I think that's justified. I think it's over. If, it was, if they killed them as part of uh, getting back the kidnapped victim, maybe that's a little well, bit they more know, justified. No, they agreed to once, uh, once they got the uh, kidnapped victim no, back. No, but they didn't have to kill all the male inhabitants. They could have gained killed where she, you know, the people guarding wherever she was. And then and take her, which is they, but they killed the whole city. They made this whole the whole thing was trickery. It says Torah back. says it was a trick. They they asked them. They said we agree to your deal. They made a peace deal in the sense of we'll marry each other as long as you get yeah. circumcised with the intent. It seems like Shimon Levy had the intent of going in there and killing. God's fault for creating circumcision. He is he's uh, he, he's taking part in this crime. 
If the circumcision wasn't in play, he gave, gave them the yeah, method. Yeah, but they, the it. non-Jews don't have to be circumcised. He gave them the methodology on how to do it. So now, okay, now the third, the third opinion, which I think is the compromise opinion, which is actually most authorities today will quote this as the Torah's view on killing innocent civilians. And it's like this. If you turn to the back here, this is the morale of Prague, um, the famous morale of Prague. He lived in the 1500s, I believe. He was the chief rabbi of Prague and of world Jewry, East of European Jewry at the time. He, if you had visited Prague, which I have, there's currently, the, even in, in downtown Prague, there's a statue of him. He's famous um, or infamous for creating the golem which is questionable if it actually existed in history, the golem, which was a clay uh, thing that protected the Jews. Interesting story. But anyway, if you go to practice... Prague, a bunch of warehouses? No. I went to the kosher restaurant. Yeah. Um, so, that, yeah. so, uh... What does that got to do with you? So, right, what does that have to do? So, so his, his opinion like this, on the story of Shechem he says a fascinating thing, which is what many of the halachic decisors today in Israel apply. Says that even though the Torah says, and I'm quoting from the top here, um, you should offer them a town. To, meaning the Torah, we're not pacifists. Torah, and that we believe in war, especially to defend ourselves. But the Torah does say, prior to any war, prior to attacking, you need to offer peace. Which I think Israel has done numerous times. The state of Israel. Um, so it says, even though the Torah says that here, with Eishchem and Chamor, by raping Dina, committed an atrocity against Israel, which at that time Israel consisted of the family of Jacob, twelve tribes. Um, even though it was only committed by one of them, which is Shem himself, since he, Shem, is part of a nation, he says, they, Shimon and Levi, are allowed to take revenge from all of them. Since they are part of a nation that committed evil against them, you're allowed to wage war against them, such as in all wars. Basically, what he's saying is that war has different rules. Um, when, 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 a, when someone in a nation, especially a leader of a nation, does an atrocity against another nation, so we don't view it as that leader committed the atrocity, He's saying now that nation is at war with Israel, or in this case, in both these cases, in, in the case of Shechem and in the case of Gaza. So notice, even if it's only the leaders who committed the atrocity, but that's what war means. War means a nation, one nation is fighting another nation. So there's no such thing, what, basically what the morale is saying, there's no such thing as non-combatants. There's no such thing as innocent civilians. Once there was an atrocity committed against one nation against another, we, all, we view all of the inhabitants of that nation as, as uh, targets in the war, which is, by the way, what America, what everyone believes, and that's what you have Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I mean, the bombing of uh, you know, Dresden and right, England bombed, you know, carpet bombed Dresden and all these places for this very reason. Germany was at war with America. Japan was at war with America. Didn't, we didn't start discussing, well, are they civilians? Are they not civilians? That was irrelevant. No, meaning once, till, um, I guess, the Geneva Conventions officially, once there was a war, there was no such thing as a distinction between civilians and, and combatants. Okay, so we'll get to the issue of the Geneva Convention in a second. But according to morale, so I'm looking at it as, as a compromise opinion in the sense of he's, he's not agreeing with Rambam that Shimon and Levi had a right to just indiscriminately kill the males. And he's, he's also not agreeing with Ramban that's saying he didn't have a right to kill them. He's saying they have a right, but not for a different reason. The reason is because it's a war. In war, nations are, are warring against each other. So if you're a member of that nation, then, you, then you're, you're, uh, you're a right target. Okay, we don't view you as any, there's no, we don't distinguish between combatants and non-combatants, is what the morale is saying. Okay, if an atrocity is committed by, it doesn't mean just one guy, he was the leader of the nation, which I think in this case, in Gaza, clearly, the argument is very clear. I mean, 
clearly the not just the leadership. I mean, the leadership, but there are many combatants that committed commit atrocities and continue to commit atrocities. So that's really because I put down the questions here. Should the actions of a member of a nation transfer to blame to all members of that nation? Are we waging war against the nation? Um, meaning, because Israel, it's interesting, Israel in this war repeatedly said, we're not waging war against the Palestinian people, but against the against, Ham, against the Hamas. Which, according to morale, is, is, he's saying, no, we are we're waging war against the Palestinian people. If, they, if, if their leaders, and they, like we said, they voted them in, they're committing atrocities, then we have a right to wage war against the Palestinian people. It's not just Hamas, is what the morale would say. I can back up on, on the left side of the page, and I get I'm here on um, Jacob's sons came upon the slain and plundered the city that had defiled their sister. Now we know that a city cannot defile the sister. It's, it's individuals in the city, or it could, but it could have said, yeah, look at the Hebrew city. It's pretty, it's pretty um, accurate translation. I share. So instead of saying that the the, the plunder the city where their sister had been defiled or something like that, it says it, it accuses the right. city here. Stephen making a very good point. He's saying that the, the language of the Bible, the Torah, is that the city defiled Dina. It wasn't in the, it was only one individual rape. And it, was, it was only one person out of whatever it was, ten thousand people or twenty, whatever it is. But the Torah defines that, and Stephen's pointing that out. It's an excellent point. As the city defiled Dina, it wasn't. We don't when an atrocity is committed, from one nation against another, even though only one person pressed the button. But that's you know only one uh, person, only one. I don't know how many Japanese planes ca uh, crashed in uh, Pearl Harbor. In Pearl Harbor, I don't know how many planes crashed into the. I say ten, right? There's only ten people committed the atrocity, but we view it as Japan declaring that's that's war. So it's the same thing here. It's not it's Japan that declared war in America. Not we don't look at it as the ten pilots who crashed their planes. Yeah. So that's a very good point. I, I still don't think he can give you carte blanche. Yeah, you don't like the morale. Right. I mean, unless, unless it's understood, that anybody could be. It's very broad. It's very it's broad that it constitutes war. Yeah, I mean, he's, no question. He's he's giving a broad, broad. He's saying there's no such thing as innocent civilians. Is basically what he's saying. It doesn't exist. Yeah, waging war against it, against a nation is one thing, but, but killing every person in there may be different. You saying if you're part of that nation, then you go it's your problem. Like if this crime, if, if they committed this crime, you can't necessarily go there and say, well, we can't attack you because you got these other people in the city. Yeah, you can attack it. The people, but then on a one-on-one -on -one basis, there's innocent people there. I don't think you can just go in there and, and, and murder them. The, yeah, the, but he's, the, he's the whole, you're right. I mean, saying the whole it. law of conquest, which is, and the world has been ruled by conquest forever, and the law of conquest succeeds not because you beat an army or you, you won a battle, it, it succeeds when you do enough collateral damage and kill enough of the civilian population that the people demand that their leaders surrender and, and play by whatever rules the conqueror comes up with. You don't, we didn't win, and, and like Rabbi Ezra said, we didn't win uh, over Germany by winning a battle on the battlefield. We won by bombing civilians. Nagasaki and Hiroshima they won by defeating the civilians, and then the civilians withdraw their their support for the leadership. 
they, they can just keep drafting more and more into the Army. They'll, they'll fight forever with the armies. So I think I'm saying if there's a legitimate war objective, then it's fine that even innocent people get, get, get killed. But it's not when you're just killing them just because. Yeah, no, there. obviously there has to be an objective. There has to be a reason to wage war. We're not saying you could just go in. Well, so, so, you know, so you'd argue against that they had the right to do it in this case? Or in Shimon Levy? Right, yeah. so they had the right to revenge. No, well, they, well, listen, they were, like you said, they were going back to get their sister, but they're right. They were ready. I'm saying, based on the, what you just said, that analysis, you'd argue, the argument would be that they did not have the right to kill the whole. Oh, okay, so you're right. So you're right. Moral is saying that 100% is car plot. always say an eye for an eye? No, we don't believe in that. We don't? <laughs> I we, we don't translate it. Not literally, yeah. We, right. it a, so we don't translate it literally. Because I was trying to put a value on it. It's just pride. And it's civil damage. You could have wiped out the whole village five times over. No, I, I think, you know, so we don't take it literally. You mentioned earlier that I think is really critical. When leadership does something, it's very different than when a citizen does something. If, if one of us commits rape, that's an individual crime against an individual and we go through our justice system. Uh, if we happen to rape somebody from another country, they, they still seek justice on an individual basis. When the leader, whether president, the king, the emperor, commits a crime against a citizen of another country, that's very different. So I, I would argue, for example, that, that kidnapping when the leadership sends out soldiers to kidnap other, you know, civilians, that's a crime by that nation against the nation. And that's very By different. the way, Hamas, if you saw yesterday, they did claim, they agreed, basically came out that they did fund the kidnapping. Right. Um, the three boys. Hamas basically said, one of the leaders, that they, they funded it. So, like you're saying, there's no question atrocities were committed by the leadership. I mean, I don't think anyone denies it. Yeah, which to me makes, me makes it say that, that Gaza is a legitimate target to attack because their leadership is... Right, yeah, but on the other hand, it doesn't mean that every, every person, everything in Gaza was fair game, though, either. Yeah, but we didn't attack every person. I'm, I, I agree. No, but he, but according to Morale, he's saying you may attack. He, yeah, I agree with you. you no, know, he's, he's explaining Shimon Levy. Shimon Levy intentionally went and killed civilians. And again, who didn't commit the address? They intentionally went and says they killed the whole city. Now, it's not like they were, it was collateral damage. I don't know, but I'm pretty proud of it. <laughs> okay. You know, it seems like there's another example in the Torah yeah. where civilians were killed because of the actions of the leader. And they were killed by God. Where is it? At Korach? No. What do you mean? There's the Correct. thing where Sodom and Gomorrah, isn't that an example? No, they, the whole city there, there wasn't there. Aren't there examples where somebody was bad and then the God, God said they're all going to suffer? Yeah, but that's something else. God. God is, uh, that's Kohala, judgment. You have that's a uh, theological that question. So here it is. God is punishing all the firstborns of Mitzrayim simply because of the actions of a dictator, totalitarian dictator, okay, but again, they had so no God. responsibility for electing him, <laughs> oh, yeah, they had no okay, choice yeah, in him, and they were all wiped out as a, as a holocaust of atrocities to them. So the innocents paid a price for actions they had no control over. That's a good point, Very but, good point. but it's, a, it's, it's more of God. I'm, I'm trying to bring examples. But you could argue examples, it's good yeah. for God. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I hear you exactly. loud and clear. I like that argument. Yeah, no, I hear loud and clear. If he can do it, then we see we can learn by it. There was another example, <laughs> I don't remember much about the story, but was there not a, a, a place in the Bible, in Hello? where 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. God sent them, and, and they were commanded to kill all in the war to kill all of them, and they let I'm one like, or two live. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, right, um, and they let one or two live, and and. Yeah, but they, so, they they, so that was a specific commandment. Everybody. Yes, true. But, but that was a specific commandment in that na for that nation. But don't we learn how to commit war? How, no, how I'm saying we don't. On the contrary, it's specifically in that war that they command a specific commandment to that specific nation. But, it's a racist. But we have to take our lessons from what what how uh, when God uh, commands us to fight a war a certain way. Isn't that our where we take our lessons how to fight wars? Yes, I mean nation building. No, I'm saying but other wars are different. The point is the desert before we built a, a nation worthy of, of the promise. So I hear you loud and clear, but that was a specific war in that case. That was specifically commanded there and not other wars. But I, I just want to get because we're running out of time. I just want to get to the Geneva Convention. So the question is, so this that's the three opinions again. Most. Um, Contemporary halachic decisions in Israel have seen bring the morale as, as a rationale for um, allowing, at least in collateral damage. Even the morale is saying even further, but for sure to target terrorists, even though knowing civilians will be killed. Um, again, almost everyone I've seen agrees with this morale. There is one opinion that I saw, the contemporary opinion, that disagrees. Um, but I want to get to the question of the Geneva Conventions. Is a question of of the fact that Israel is a signet, supposedly a let's say signed on to the Geneva Convention. Huh? Never officially ratified. Okay, but I'm saying officially they keep international law. So the question is, does that obligate them? As we know, there's a concept we discussed here many times of Dina de Dina, like we have to observe the law of the land, in this case, the law of the world, so to speak, the Geneva Convention. So does that obligate the Jewish state to, to observe those laws? And then in that case, then it becomes a whole question of does, is there a violation of the Geneva Conventions here? So what I found is a beautiful um, explanation like this. I'm sorry to say one is from Alan Dershowitz, but even before that, um, the, the, the issue is like this, meaning even in when you're dealing, let's say, in America, where we're saying as Jews we have an obligation, halachic obligation, to observe the law of the land. It's, the question is, is it the law on the books, or is it um, the literal way the law is written, or is it what's in practice, in actuality, not just theory? So for example, and this has actually been asked this question in, in, as a consultant in, for a business, a business ethics question, which is, um, it's really, I mean, the, the classical case is speeding, right? So we all know, except in Bel Air and every other place in the United States, if you go up to six miles over the speed limit, the police will not stop you. You'll never get a tip ticket for Speed limit's 55, you're going, uh, you know, 60, up to 62. I'll never stop, except in Bel Air. That's the only place, I think, in, in the world. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, the, so the question is, am I violating the law? You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.